And it is Jesus who makes this a glorious day. We welcome you to this broadcast. We are so glad that you are able to join us today. Today, we'll see that God's salvation in Old Testament times, in New Testament times, and now is always by God's grace. Grace activated by faith in Christ and His finished work. We must not be ashamed of the gospel. And now with his message is our pastor, Robert Elliott. Salvation is granted as a grace gift as you place faith in God. Both in the Old and the New Testaments, that is the case. Grace through faith. And so you cannot accurately contend that there are several ways to be saved in the Bible. You cannot argue that God saved people by law-keeping in the Old Testament and then by Christ in the New Testament. For one thing, nobody kept the law in the Old Testament. It was a mirror to show that your hair was out of place. I don't have that problem. The law was a mirror to show you that your hair was out of place. It wasn't a hairbrush to fix your hair. That took Christ. So what you can accurately assert is that from Genesis to Revelation, God saves sinners by his grace, which is dispensed as those sinners place their faith in God in ways that were shown to them at the time they lived. Abraham was saved by grace through faith in God by expressly leaving Ur of the Chaldeans in obedience, by putting his teenage son on the altar and about to kill him, and God stopped that. Turn over to Romans 4, you'll see this. Romans 4, 1 to 3 quickly. What shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, has found? For if Abraham was justified by works, he is something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? That's the best question to ask of something you're wondering about. What does the scripture say? And Abraham believed God, and Abraham believed God, and Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Oh, it was Abraham's belief in God that caused God to reckon Abraham righteous. Faith to faith. Noah was saved by grace through faith in God as expressed by obeying God and building an ark. They haven't had a rainfall when Noah starts building this ark. God tells them I'm going to have a global flood. What's a global flood? Build the ark. Here are the specs. Build the ark. Faith in God, the family Noah, eight of them were spared the global flood. Everybody else died. Rahab was saved by grace through faith in God as she expressed her faith by hiding the Jewish spies in her home in Jericho. You get the point that salvation is always by God's grace through faith in God as he requires us to show our faith in God. In this dispensation, that's in Christ. The only way to show saving faith now is to look to Christ on the cross and his empty tomb and say, I am banking on Jesus person and work to get the grace gift of forgiveness. Have you done that? I'll give you an opportunity to do that a little later. This costs. The gospel is free, but after we receive the free gift that cost the Godhead everything, it costs us to be a Christian. W.D. Moen, writing in the Wittenberg Door, quote, Not only do American Christians want a gospel that is powerful, responsive, durable, and well-built, 
They want one that also only requires a low initial investment and needs little or no regular maintenance. That is a car. That is not the gospel. That is not Jesus. Americans today want a gospel that is powerful, responsive, durable, and well-built. They want one that also requires a low initial investment and needs little to no regular maintenance. Is that your salvation? We ought not to be ashamed of the gospel. We've seen that the gospel is the monument to God's work of redeeming sinners, and we've seen that as such, we have absolutely no legitimate reason to be ashamed about it. Please make no mistake about it that the gospel is the greatest power, God's power, working the greatest salvation, the salvation from sin. For the greatest possible number of people, everyone who believes, in the greatest sphere of result, being made right with God by having faith in his son, Jesus. Going back to 1, 16 and 17, we're almost finished. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. We started, as you recall, by considering the Statue of Liberty, and we made some parallels between the statue and the gospel. Patrick Henry said this, It cannot be emphasized too strongly or too often that this great nation was founded not by religionists, but by Christians. Not by religions, but on the gospel of Jesus Christ. For this reason, people have been afforded asylum, prosperity, and freedom to worship here. End of quote. You may recall that Patrick Henry had the famous quote, give me liberty or give me death. But Patrick Henry also, as a committed Christian, had that particular insight into the founding of his nation of America. It cannot be emphasized too strongly or too often that this great nation was founded not by religionists, but by Christians. Not on religions, but on the gospel of Jesus Christ. For this very reason, people have been afforded asylum, prosperity, and freedom to worship here. End of quote. We need to keep the main thing the main thing. It's not just American Christians who need to keep the gospel the main thing. It's Bahamian Christians who need to keep the gospel the main thing. Because the gospel is the theme of the book of Romans. The gospel is the theme of the New Testament. The gospel is the only message out of hell. The gospel is the message into the saving grace of God. The message of heaven's inhabitants. The gospel is the message of God's own heart. The gospel is the truth washed in precious blood. The gospel is the gift that celebrates freedom and forgiveness. The gospel is the good news to be lived out after its reception. The gospel is worthy to have the world as its audience. The gospel is the grandest gift certificate ever issued. The gospel is sin, debt, retirement, and atonement. The gospel is a liberating truth to quell all of our rebellion before God. The gospel withstands the gale force winds of Satan. The gospel accommodates to situations without ever watering down itself. The gospel is God's wrath and mercy kissing on the cross. The gospel is heaven made and earth applied. The gospel is the gift of the Godhead delivered by God the Son. The gospel necessarily crowned with thorns and suffering and crucifixion. The gospel restored when slandered and polluted. The gospel is the heavenly and earthly monument to freedom from sin, self, and Satan. The gospel is the sinner's only hope. The gospel is the glory of God. The gospel is the apex of all of human history. The gospel is the command of all the commands to be believed and to be obeyed. The gospel is the doorway into the fulfillment 
of restored relationship with God. John Piper said, the ultimate good of the gospel is seeing and savoring the beauty and value of God. God's wrath and our sin obstruct that vision and that pleasure. You can't see and savor God as supremely satisfying while you are full of rebellion against him and he is full of wrath against you. The removal of this wrath and this rebellion is what the gospel is for. The ultimate aim of the gospel is the display of God's glory and the removal of every obstacle to our seeing it and savoring it as our highest treasure. Behold your God is the most gracious command and the best gift of the gospel. If we do not see him and savor him as our greatest fortune, we have not obeyed or believed the gospel. End of quote. The gospel. The gospel is the wonderful and merciful Savior Jesus saying, Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free, the wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless, the tempest tossed to me. I lift up my lamp beside the golden door. Will you stand with me and pray with me? Lovely Lord, only you are the one who gives the grace which we all need as ones who have in actuality fallen short of you. At the close of this sermon, we ask you for two graces, the grace to be verbal and the grace to be saved. We who are saved ask for the grace to be more verbal and open about sharing the way of salvation. And those hearing this prayer that are still lost in their sin in the church here today, I ask for grace for these to believe in the Savior and to be born again, to become new creations in Christ. These are our needs, Lord. Please overtake so as to undertake because so much is at stake. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks, Pastor Rob, for your message today. And now it's time for Youth Talk with Pastor Nicholas Rogers. Good morning. This is Pastor Nicholas in addition of Youth Talk. Today we want to continue on talking on our series, Sincerely God, and talking about God's Word. And the first thing as we, we look and we recap where we've been, we talked about the first week how God's letter is a love letter to us, how we see the story of redemption and how because of Him sending His Son and dying for us, we could have a relationship with Him. The second week... We looked at how Scripture is our guide, how we need to look at it, and, and it guides us through life and how it guides us in the right direction. And this week, we want to just talk about how we can know God more. And a question I have, first of all, as we think about this, is how do we get to know someone? Well, the first way we get to know someone, we, get, we spend time with them. We ask them questions. We just talk to them. You know, in today's society, we've lost this a lot. Because a lot of people don't know how to communicate with people because we've gone in an era where we like to text and we don't like to talk to people anymore and we just, you know, shoot, you know, text messages. And when we do that, you know, emotions aren't seen in those texts and, you know, sometimes texts are taken out of context. And so there's so many different things that we see today that, that is so different as we consider how we get to know people. But today, as we consider God's Word, we're going to look at how 
in the Christian life, we, we, we have this Bible, we have the whole Word of God and, and all these things. And, and the thing in reality is, is that there are a lot of things in there we may read and we don't understand. But the one thing we need to focus on is the person that it's about. And as we consider John seventeen three, as Jesus and his high priestly praying, let me just read verses 1 to 3 so that we could get the context. When Jesus spoke in these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority of all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And verse 3, what we want to focus on. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Again, we have that word know. What does it mean to know someone? What does it mean to really know someone? You see, we can know a lot about people. We can know facts about people. But the reality is we have to know them. We want to be a part of their life. We want to really get to know everything about them, the ins and outs of their life. And that's what Jesus is saying. And this is eternal life. that They know you, the only true God. He wants them to know his father. He wants them to know him. When we consider today's society, we don't get to know people. We know a lot about them, and we, 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 we push people away and, and all sorts of things. But here it is. This is a different type of relationship. You see, Christianity isn't just about this book, the Bible. Christianity is about the person this book points to, and that is Jesus and, and, and God. And, and as we think of the Trinity, it points to him. And it shows us what we need to know. It shows us who we need to know. You know, it, it, it's amazing that sometimes we get so caught up in, in different things. And, and it's great to know the stories of David and Joseph and, and the list goes on. These all point directly to the gospel. But we need to know God. We need, we need to look at the gospels and we need to see what Jesus, as he walked on this earth and what he did. And it would help us. Because when we see what he has done and what we see he's done for us, it would encourage us to want to know him more to know more about him, to have a relationship with him. You see, a relationship is what we're talking about here. A relationship is when we really get to know someone, we know things about them, when we spend time with them. And when we consider God's word, and many of us grow up in Sunday school and we hear the, the stories of the miracles and all sorts of different you know things that Jesus Christ has done, the reality is, is that, as we're going to look at later this morning, is that this is just... A part of it. There are things that wasn't recorded in Scripture that that Jesus did on the earth and, and, and that we need to know just how great and awesome He is. But we need to recognize that the Bible is an invitation for us. A Bible is an invitation for us to know God more as He inspired every word that is written in this book. This book is, is a book that never changes. You see, when I consider, for those who may listen who are in school, and I consider your, your science books and your history books or whatever it may be, those books change. You're not using the same science book that I, have, I used when I was in school because people have changed things. But we know that as we look at God's Word and we look at Scripture, that it never changes. It's the same. It's the same Scripture. Nothing changes. And that gives us hope. But as we consider and we look at John chapter 20, Verses 30 to 31, as I, as I said earlier, that the scriptures that we have don't record. It, it, it's what God wants us to see. It says this. Now Jesus did many other signs 
and the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Again, this is a life-changing book. This is a book that can bring us hope. This is a book that helps us to, to see who we are. And as we consider and we look at those of us who know the gospel, and we see all the miracles, and we see that Jesus healed people, we see that that's just a small part. It's only the, the things that he recorded that he wanted us to know. But as verse 30 said, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. What that means is basically, you know, he did many things, and we just don't need to know about it. Because we have enough that we see in Scripture. And we need to understand that because so many times people will, will try to, to look at, you know, try to add to Scripture. And that's not what Jesus wants us to do. He wants us to focus on what the text says. And he wants us to focus on that because that's what he has given us. It's the inspired Word of God. We must not add to it as in the book of Revelation says. And even right here we see it, which are not written in this book. But... These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. Think about that for a second. He wants you to have life. He wants you to have eternal life, a life that, that is forever. What are you doing about it? You may be listening to this broadcast and, and you know you may be saying, Well, you know, I know some facts about Jesus, but I don't really know him. But you see, he's given us an invitation to know him. He's given us an invitation just as we would consider as we'd be invited to a birthday party. He's inviting us to in a relationship with him. So the question is, what do we do? Well, first of all, we need to read God's letter. We need to know scripture. We need to read it for ourselves. And we need to know what we believe. Secondly, we need to memorize it. You know, we need to remember that this is God's letter. This is God's letter to us. We need to memorize it. It needs to become what we're about. It needs to not just be something that we read, but we need to know it. The third thing is this, as we've been looking at, let God's letter guide you. We talked about it last week that the Bible is a source of guidance and direction for your life. When you allow God's word to direct you, it actually helps you to get to know him better. The more you trust, follow, and obey God's word, the better you'll understand him and know him. And the last thing is this, accept God's invitation. Again, if the, if the Bible is an invitation to know God better, we have to accept that invitation. You see, you can read these words without ever committing to know God better. But when you approach Scripture with the desire and, and want to know Him and to understand it, and that the love that God who inspired these words, you will come to know Him in a deeper way. So I challenge you. What are you doing? Do you read God's Word? Do you memorize it? Are you letting it guide your life? Let it guide your steps? Have you accepted God's invitation? Have you allowed God to change you from the inside out? This is Pastor Nicholas Ben, edition of Utah. And now, today's ministry spotlight. Well, good morning. I'm glad to be in the radio studio with my friend, Dr. Stephen Lewis. Good morning. Good morning. Dr. Lewis is the president of Rocky Mountain Bible College and Seminary in Denver, Colorado. We're going to chat a little bit about uh, something that's near and dear to your heart, which is uh, biblical education by extension. I wonder if you could help our listeners know what that is. Yeah, biblical education by extension, uh, we call it B-World. 
uh, and it started in 1979 in Vienna, Austria, for the purpose of going into the closed Iron Curtain countries. I was stationed in Vienna, Austria, and a group of colleagues went in, and they would clandestinely, in a sense, would go into the countries there and begin to start small discipling Bible programs where they were, uh, in order to complete it, they had to teach it to someone else. So it's never with the process of just giving information. It's always with the idea of multiplication. So before they can get credit for a course, they have to teach it to another group of 20 and another group of 20. And it's really based on the Second Timothy 2.2 passage. Very good. And so this uh, secret um, entry into some of these closed countries, uh, why would you say that the uh, Bible and theology is the most important thing to convey to people in those situations? Well, what, what we're finding is, is that evangelism, we pray, will continue on no matter what the doors are open or closed and that people are coming to saving faith. But at the same time, unless they're beginning to be discipled, which is, the, which is really what the Great Commission is to disciple, that they soon uh, get into other teachings and things that are not biblical. And so what we try to do is give them a good biblical foundation and raise up the next generation of leadership as well as disciples that can carry on this message. And the Bible seems to be, uh, uh, some new books out, the Bible, you know, the book that changed the Western world, and I would say that's still true today. Yes. Uh, just should there be any listener, perhaps, that may not be familiar with the idea of discipled, uh, it comes from a concept in the New Testament. A disciple was a follower of, of a rabbi, and of course, the ultimate perfect uh, God-man rabbi, Lord Jesus Christ, had his own disciples, and since him being on earth, we have the privilege of learning to follow him uh, wherever we live and, and worship. Excellent. Uh, is it only the training of pastors that this extension uh, training is tr targeted toward? You know, I think that's really one of our prime groups. But overall, we hope that everyone is a disciple is, that, that comes to saving faith. So that no matter where they are, uh, we have ministries now that are to women's ministries, to family ministries, uh, to young adults. Uh, we do all of that throughout the world. It has expanded from just the Iron Curtain. Uh, which came down in 1989 and allowed us to go into to China, uh, the, what we call the bamboo curtain. And at the same time, we also uh, began to see there are some places that we have what are called restricted access. Not that they are closed totally, as some have been, and some are moving toward, but primarily they're becoming restricted in that they just don't have access to good biblical training. And people that are saved have everlasting life and are not discipled are easily swayed into false teachings that are out there to pick them off one by one. And so we hope to, to solidify the church and get them established and, uh, and see from there a growth that's going to sustain through generations. Excellent. So I know there are probably too many countries to name an exhaustive list, but what would be some sample countries that uh, biblical education by extension is operating within? Well, from the very beginning, it's, it happened in, let's say, Russia, which has their own B, B area now called B Russia. Uh, we have, we're in India, we're all over into China, uh, South Asia, Africa, the, now in the Middle East, 
in those countries there, which we're finding a lot of resistance uh, because of the current climate there politically and otherwise. But we're also, uh, we're looking at South America. We're looking actually the whole globe because biblical education is sort of a deficiency that's fairly worldwide. Yes, and the, and the extension part of it, am I right, that that is really speaking to the person who wants to be trained and taught, doesn't have to go to a certain building, a certain school, or what have you? Well, yeah, that's absolutely true. We have found, and in, in historically, in biblical education, whether it's uh, colleges or seminaries, that when we have students that come from their home countries and go to, let's say, the U.S. or the U.K. or some of the other places, we find that they don't always go back. And so there's a drain on even the good ones that we have. So the whole process is, is that we want them to be trained within their own country. Now, sometimes there may be a center where they can do advanced training, but primarily they go. we go out into the byways and highways or where we can find them. Uh, I can give you examples later on of some of the places that I've been, and they're, they are somewhat remote. I mean, they you have to take a long drive after long, short plane rides and all the rest, but it's well worth it. These men and women are just hungry for God's Word. Oh, that's beautiful. What a nice experience and what a benefit. Um, do you find that uh, there's opposition to this? Well, yeah, we find, in fact, right now, if you were to look up any Christian sources of what's happening in China, you will, I think just about a month ago, they published an article where one of the largest churches in China was bombed and bulldozed down to the ground uh, by the government mm -hmm. and other places. So what's happening in places like that is the church has been persecuted. So what, and with the new technologies of having facial recognition, they now can track people that come in, Westerners mm -hmm. or any other people, and also track groups. And so they've limited the size of groups that you can gather within, even within the homes. And so that, that's, a, that's more of the restricted that we see. We still have the police and all the rest. My good friend who is in the Middle East, the secret police there have a file on him, probably about six inches thick. Hmm. Uh, and they try to meet with him as often as they can. And his, his, the, what has happened in the last 10 years, he invites them to the school there which they know as a Christian seminary, and they say, well, thank you, then we just don't need to go this year. <laughs> <laughs> just in bringing this to a little bit of a, a conclusion, um, is there any uh, ministry of biblical education by extension currently offered in the Caribbean? I don't, th I don't think we have anything formally here. I think this is a place... Uh, we've kind of redefined the idea of what we would call restricted access, sometimes it's just a lack of biblical education, and because we have that even in the states, and so there's a need for it everywhere, and if we had uh, some places where we could do it, I'm sure we would have fine people that would desire to do it. Yeah, for sure. Well, I guess listeners, we need to pray that the Lord would open up a door or doors for this kind of an approach to be a blessing to the Commonwealth of the Bahamas. Well, Steve, it's great to chat about biblical education by extension, and I'd just like to lead us in a word of prayer. Thank you. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you that your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. 
and the, where the, your word enters, there is light. We thank you for the programs that have already been offered to Christians in many countries of the world that they can learn your word and learn about you in theology by extension, not having to go to a Bible college or to a seminary. We pray for your blessing upon the ministry of B, B-E-E, World Mission, and that uh, those studying would be equipped to do the work of the ministry. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church, Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship services are at 8 a.m. and 11 a.m. in our sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We encourage you to join us. Feel free to write us at eocradio at gmail.com. That's eocradio at gmail.com or P.O. Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And remember, everyone needs a savior.